0: Gospel of Luke, chapter 1, verse 26. In the sixth month, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favoured. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, you have found favour with God. You will be with child and give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be, Mary, asked the angel, since I am a virgin? The angel answered, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age, and she who was said to be barren is in her sixth month, for nothing is impossible with God. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May it be to me as you have said. Then the angel left her. At that time, Mary got ready and hurried to a town in the hill country of Judea, where she entered Zachariah's home and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leapt in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. In a loud voice, she exclaimed,
1: Blessed are you among women, and blessed The child you will bear. But why am I so favored that the mother of my Lord should come to me? As soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leapt for joy. Blessed is
2: she who has believed that what the Lord has said to her will be accomplished. And Mary said, My soul glorifies the Lord. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, even as he said to our fathers. Mary stayed with Elizabeth for about three months and then returned home.
1: Well, let's pray and we'll have a look. Father, we thank you for your word We thank you that we can gather like this. Thank you for this time that we can set aside. We do pray that you'll help us to enjoy, Lord, um, your word, to enjoy one another's company, to enjoy your spirit working. So equip us, Lord, convince us, help us to love the Lord Jesus Christ even more. And we pray this in your name. Amen. Good, so we are doing little snippets all over the place about Christmas, so we thought we'll look at some passages that, um, at least I haven't really looked at them in depth, and looking at it from a slightly different angle, normally when you preach through a book kind of systematically, you kind of try and stick with the flow rather than uh, pick up on some of the interesting details. So I thought we'll do Luke chapter 1, and we're going to do Luke chapter 2 next week, and we're just going to play along, do a bit of Christmas stuff uh, this year. All right, so we'll start with outrageous stories. An idea. I not if any one of you heard some outrageous stories. And when you hear an outrageous story, what is your reaction? So I found an outrageous story on the Internet. Last year, January 2018, Kutztown in Pennsylvania, uh, there was an invitation on the web page posted by the Pennsylvania Police Department. Please come and get drunk at the police station. (laughs) Everybody was a bit shocked. Everybody laughed and joked and kind of didn't take it seriously. And then one or two people went to the police station and said, is this for real? Is this a hoax? Is this... And the police said, no, no, it's for real. Please come to the police station and get drunk. So we don't have to go and catch you wherever you do it normally. No, what the whole idea was about, they wanted you to come, and if you are between the ages of 25 and 40, uh, you would have to sign a kind of a you know, liability waiver and uh, have a sober companion with you, and then they will give you enough liquor to get you seriously drunk so that the rookie policeman can practice on seeing how to treat somebody who's drunk and uh, so that they can have real-life experience uh, for the season that was, you know, happening. Fascinating, isn't it? So, there was quite an interesting outcry about this. Um, a number of people were very upset uh, that the police could do such a thing, but not for the reason why you think. They were upset because the majority of the people fell outside of the age bracket of 25 <laughs> to 40. They have never been sponsored by a police station to get drunk and therefore were very angry. That they were left out of the festivities. Fascinating, isn't it? I mean, it sounds so weird, you kind of don't want to believe it. Uh, Take it a bit of a more serious one. Can you remember where you were on the 9th of September, 2001? 9-11-2001. Can you remember where you were? It's one of those stories that really just kind of etched in my mind. Most of you know that's when the planes flew into the two towers um, in New York. Uh, we were actually at Synod at that stage, and we were sitting in session, as they call it, and uh, listening to whatever. I can't even remember what they discussed because you don't listen to those kinds of things. Um, you just kind of sit there. And somebody ran in and shouted, America's under attack, America's under attack. And I will never forget my first reaction. I looked at my wife and I thought, this is not the 1st of April. It ain't going to work with me. This can't be true. So they said, it's serious, serious. And we kind of, most of us ran out. Across the street, there was a little cafe with a small little TV. And we stood there, and we just saw these flames. And I still thought, nah, man, this is a movie. You know, this is not for real. I mean, America can't be attacked. And uh, over the next couple of days, I was like a zombie sitting in front of the TV, 24-7, watching as the story unfolds. Massive, isn't it? I mean, it's so, it's so bizarre you, you, you don't want to believe it. You can't believe it. You come up with instinctive other explanations for an outrageous story like that. I don't know if you can remember where you were and what you were thinking and what you were doing. But remember, that kind of hit me uh, quite hard. And so today, fasc- fascinatingly enough, there's a lot of people that are still trying to explain what happened there in different ways, major theories. Now it was Bush who did this with the help of people. I mean, they're fascinating. The facts are there, and yet lots of people are arguing about, did it really happen, and was it this thing that came from outside? Was it pinned on Osama bin Laden? Was it orchestrated by the American government? I mean, all sorts of theories. Some people still find it hard to believe that it actually, in that sense, happened. So I take it, if there was ever an outrageous story, then we are now in that season. Christmas. Have you ever thought about how ridiculously outrageous the Christmas story is? We've just read it. A young girl, maximum 15 years of age, living in Nazareth. Do you know where Nazareth is? Anybody know where Nazareth is? Of course you don't, because nobody knows where Nazareth is. (laughs) Nazareth is a no place town in a no place little section of the Middle East. Here's a girl 15 years old, she is visited by an angel. You believe that? The angel says to her, listen here, you are going to have a child all by yourself without a man. And it's going to be God who's going to impregnate you. And that kid that grows in you is going to be holy. And he is going to be God's son, the, God, the son of the most high God, among all the other gods. And he will be the king of Israel, and he will rule forever. Very easy to believe. <laughs> we, we believe because we grow up with this stuff, isn't it? But just think, you, think you're hearing that story for the first time. Here's the story about this incredible thing happening. It's outrageous, isn't it? I mean, it's insane in one sense. Who would believe that? I mean, do you live in Thor? Thor came to Earth to save us from the other people who attacked us. Doesn't that sound so similar? The gods up there has come down to Earth and he's come to rule and reign on our behalf. Sounds almost as ridiculous as that, isn't it? So I take it as they say, familiarity breeds contempt, or we just say, "Oh, of course, of course, of course." There's angels flying around bringing messages of supernatural births. Um, and when your daughter comes home and says, to you, you know, Gabriel came and said, it's going to be like that. You're going to say, of course, yeah. I mean, that normally happens this time around of the year. Angels bring messages that you are going to be pregnant even though you're a virgin. And everything's fine. Let's just move on to the next story. Just imagine what it must have been like for them to tell them, hey, listen, here, something weird has happened here. I'm pregnant. I'm 15 years old. I'm not married. And it's God doing this. Very believable, isn't it? I mean, I'm sure you would have believed your kids come and tell you that. So, I don't want to get too, but it's just fascinating. When you start to think, you almost just stop a little bit and think about what's going on. So, let's have a look at Mary. Because a lot of people say, you know, religious types are very easily persuaded. Isn't it? I mean, you get those who actually ask questions and are critical and skeptical. And then you get the religious types, which I assume you guys are falling into. Because, I mean, it's Christmas time and you in church, sitting here on a Sunday. So, you are the easy believers. You believe things easily. No matter what it says, you'll believe it. So, you are, shame, you know, who are you guys? You will believe anything that anybody says. So, let's have a quick squeeze and just have a look at how Mary, in one sense, reacts to this whole thing. And see if it is simply a question that she believes everything that she hears because it doesn't seem to be the case when you just look at some of the details, uh, and we're just going to pick up on them. I'm just going to encourage you because you're going to have to deal with this yourself, and you're going to be out there in the world with people who will tell you, you know, what religious people, Christian people, they believe anything very easily, uh, and so you may want to encourage them. So, there in your outline, I've kind of given you three basic responses that we see in this section of how Mary dealt with it. First of all, she was frightened and she was alarmed. So have a look at verse 27. It says, um, He went to a virgin place to be married to a man named Joseph a descendant of David, uh, and the virgin's name was Mary. Verse 28, the angel said to her, Greetings to you, a highly favored one, the Lord is with you. And then verse 29, sorry, Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greetings this might be. So the first thing she is, she is alarmed, she's shocked, she didn't recognize him to be an angel, it seems like it, at first, uh, she only seems to discover it later, just for those of you who think angels got wings, angels don't have wings, angel just means messenger. So here was a man standing in her room, standing wherever it is, we don't know, even told where exactly this is, we know it's in this little town, Nazareth, and he said to her, oh, you are highly favored, the Lord is with you. And she's like, What? Highly favored, me, 15, Nazareth. Really? Sure? Is that what it means? What is all of this about? And it tells us here that she wondered, which is a little bit of a wonderful, wondered translation. The word really means she made a thorough calculation and audited everything she heard. <laughs> this was not those words of wonder. We'll get to the wonder a bit later. Yes, she says, What? You hear the message, you're starting to calculate the possibilities. A thorough calculation of all the facts as she had them in that stage, trying to figure out what on earth is this actually all about. So in one sense, there was a little bit of doubt in her, isn't it? She was starting, what is this all about? What is this message? What does it mean? What could it possibly actually be all about? She didn't say, oh, oh, you, Gabe. (laughs) Good to see you. Oh, thanks, I know I'm favored by God. And I know I'm going to get a kid glad you came to bring the message. She was like shocked, alarmed. He says, do not be afraid. She's not afraid of him. Listen carefully. She's afraid of the message that he brings. Oh, you highly favored one, the Lord is with you. See what she's saying? She's not shocked that he's got wings in flame, fire. She's not overwhelmed by him. She's overwhelmed by the message. You think, why would you be overwhelmed by the message? Oh, you who are favored, the Lord is with you. She said, what on earth does that mean? How do I calculate that? So there's an interesting thing. So she is trying to figure out what is going on. Our world tells us that people believe very easily. It doesn't seem like she believes very easily. We're going to see as the story develops. She's going to ask questions. She's going to listen to the answers. She's going to weigh up. She's going to go and investigate. And she's going to develop her understanding over this very short little period of what is actually going on. So that's a good thing for us, too. We can do the same. We can actually encourage people not to just believe the story. Just accept it. Just believe. That's what we often say, isn't it? Just believe. She doesn't just believe. She's alarmed. She's calculating. She's wondering. She's trying to figure it out. And then he tells her that you are going to have a child. um, And then she asks this very important question And how is that going to happen? I've got no husband and I'm a virgin. How is that going to be? That's interesting. Very straightforward, logical questions. There's nothing weird about it. She's just saying, what? How are you going to pull that off? That's not possible because of what I am. Can you see how she is kind of working this thing through? She's trying to figure out. He obviously sees the alarm in her face, and he starts to speak to her. But it's quite important for us to realize that we all suffer from what is often known, especially now in a kind of intellectual world called chronological snobbery. Have you ever heard that word? believes that we are far very educated today, and we don't just believe anything. We are sophisticated. In the early days, people believed everything and anything, and it was quite simple for them to believe that Jesus would die and would rise. When you read the facts, it's not like that, actually, at all. It was a massive shock to all of those people. So often when you read the stories in the Bible, people will say, "Ah, oh, you know, this is just typical of uneducated people who live in the backwaters of Israel. They would believe anything she doesn't she said ha ah, this is going to be interesting how are you going to get me a 15-year-old virgin to have a child how is that going to happen so she's engaging and questioning him and trying to help him so the first thing we see that she's alarmed yet she's thoughtful she says what is going on here and she's prepared to engage with this angel with this person who she only maybe later discover is actually an angel and so when you look at the story earlier, there was another angel who appeared to Zechariah. Remember, while he was busy doing the sacrifices, he gets a little bit of a different response to that she gets. When he questions the angel, the angel says, okay, so now you'll be dumb, and you won't be able to speak until the child is born. But Mary, he says, no, yeah, this is how it will work. God himself will bring this about. And Mary says, cool. And there's no repercussions. So why is there the difference? So why does Zechariah get a little bit I'm not saying nailed, but you kind know, of put in his place. But Mary doesn't. Because Zechariah was married, and he had a wife. And for him who knew the Scriptures, there shouldn't be a problem when he gets the message that God tells you that you and your wife are going to have a child, even if you're old. Because there was a couple of other people in the Old Testament that had the same issue. Not so? But has there ever been in the Scriptures a virgin who falls pregnant by herself so there's grace for her because she is asking a very legitimate question how on earth is this going to happen it's like i should know how you have children by now you've been married for a long time they couldn't have children but if god says to you now you can then he should have said cool bananas he should have said it's fine we understand that she so it's interesting there are different ways of doubt and the scriptures embraces that There's a doubt that closes the mind to understanding. And there's a doubt that says, let me just think this through. Let me just weigh it all up. Let me just hold some of the evidence so that I can find out if it's true. There's a doubt that leads you to discover there's a doubt that says, this is not going to happen. We live in a world where doubt is almost a virtue. Everything that you can doubt per definition means you shouldn't follow it. I'm sure René Descartes didn't mean that when he said, I think, therefore I am. He actually meant, when I doubt, I am. He made this classic understanding. The scripture says there are different kinds of doubt. So sometimes you doubt You think, Is this true? Is that God really saying this? Are you moving towards him? Or are you using that to not move towards him? Even in this passage, you find there's these two slightly different ways. So which one do you do? When you find something that's hard to believe, what do you do? Do you dismiss it because you can doubt it? Or do you say, hmm, since I doubt it, let me do some more investigation. Because I want to move towards truth. I don't want to move away from it. I don't believe I know so much that my doubt is a legitimate reason not to move forward. I actually use my doubt to move forward. Make sense? Good question to ask people. What kind of a doubt do you have? Do you doubt moving away? Do you use your doubt to block further investigation? Or do you use your doubt to investigate further? So there's interesting. The scriptures hold out. I take it the second one. Move towards investigation. Yes, there are many things you will not understand, many things you do not have the experience to know. But when God reveals something, are you open to investigate it further? And it seems like... At least in Mary's case, she was open to investigate it a little bit further. All right. Secondly, note there that she is responding gradually. As we've just mentioned, she's first a little bit incredulous. How is this going to happen? But it's measured. She's asking a question. She's unsure, but she wants to know how. And then, obviously, she actually gets an answer. She says, don't worry. It's not a big deal. God is going to do this just like God has now made a miracle of your cousin, and this is based on the fact that God's word never fails. So she gets actually a lot of information in one sense. No wonder you'll see in verse, what's it, 39, Mary hurries to go and investigate if it's true, if Elizabeth is indeed pregnant. She's unsure, she's prepared to listen and to weigh and she's open to investigate further, given the evidence that the angel gives her. So don't worry, God is the one who can do all things. His spirit can do everything. He kind of quotes Genesis chapter 1. The spirit hovering over the face of the deep, the spirit will hover over you. And she says, oh, okay, cool, not a problem for God. I can kind of understand that. I can kind of measure that. Oh, by the way, your cousin is also pregnant, and she couldn't have children. Hmm. That's maybe something to go and investigate a little bit close by. This is the sixth month of her pregnancy already. She writes to go and find out if it's true. See how this works? She just doesn't write it off. But I take it the final clincher for her is when he says, no word of the Lord will ever fail. She knows God well enough to know that if this is God's word and this has happened, then I can trust him even if I don't fully understand. What he's saying, because it's based on who he is and what he's done. So, the first thing, there's a measure of incredulity. She's kind of have a look and investigating, and she's kind of sh- shocked by this whole thing, and yet she is not overwhelmed by it. She's contemplating the message, trying to work through how it is possible. So, I take it if you actually hear the gospel message, you know, I find this fascinating. She's, she's a real girl. I mean, I'm not knocking girls, all right? Don't get me wrong. But she's a real girl. She's just heard, God will bring about his own son in you. And he will be the king of Israel for all generations. And she's worried about, how am I going to get pregnant? Which is perfectly legitimate. I'm wondering how on earth is it possible that God could become man and that that man could be the king of the world. That's the question I would ask, but I can't get pregnant. So it probably wouldn't worry me. How on earth are you going to do this thing? See how weird it is? When you hear the gospel message, it is, how probable is it that God will become man through an actual human being? They were not worried about that God can manifest as a man. All right? So if you read the Old Testament Scriptures, you'll find God often man, manifested himself as a man. The angel of the Lord, one of the figures in the Old Testament, often he has revealed himself and comes to Abraham and to Isaac and to Jacob and to Moses and all of them. You can go and read carefully. God actually physically represented himself as a human to them, to speak to them. So for them it wasn't a problem that God could manifest itself. But for God to actually become a human by becoming, by impregnating a woman and taking on human flesh in that way, that is
0: completely
1: unheard of. But she's almost not worried about that. She's worried about just how are you going to do it because I'm not married. It's a typical natural reaction, isn't it? I love this about her. But she's, how are you going to do this? Are you shocked about the fact that god has become human it makes perfectly emotionally intellectually and experientially sense to you right of course yeah. it does happen, happens often like every other person yeah. You know? it just happens on a regular basis have you ever experienced anything like that it sounds really ridiculous it sounds like one of the movies. The gods have come down, and now they are superhumans here among us. That's what it says. Are you shocked? A little bit? What? Really? God, who upholds the universe in his hands, becomes a baby. I mean, he's come in flames, and he's come in fire, and he's come in the angel of the Lord. Come as a baby really I mean what, what can you do with a baby whatever you like all they do is eat and fart God becomes a baby that is really not something easy to get your head around once you've dealt with the incarnation the death and the resurrection is very easy if you battle to understand the death and the resurrections, because you haven't understood the incredible mind-bending reality of God taking on human life and limiting himself to that size. Well, it starts at that size, doesn't it? And it gets a bit bigger. It is really incredible. I wonder if you are shocked by that. I wonder if you are shocked when other people are shocked that you believe that God became human to save us. Are you shocked when others are shocked? When they just look at you and they grin? Are you really? Can it make perfectly sense to you that God would do something like that? It's interesting when you start to think about it. When you look through her eyes, you starting to realize this is humongous. This is really massive. So there's a little bit of incredulity. Then she comes to the place of acceptance. As he explains this to her, she says... Okay, if it's the spirit of God involved, which he has always been involved and made all things, if Elizabeth is actually pregnant by your intervention and your words never fail, all right, here I am. Do with me whatever you want. I'm yours. She doesn't say, oh, of course, I understand perfectly what that means. I'm so glad I've been waiting for this and I understand your whole plan and purpose and so here I am. She's just saying, okay, you're God, I'm not. I bow before you. Do to me as you want. Incredible, isn't it? That surrender. So here's the funny thing. It's very difficult to grow as a Christian if you do not get to those little points of surrender which are multiple. If God can become human, how that happens, I've got actually really no idea. But if it is possible, then I can surrender a little bit more of who I think I am and what I think life is all about. See what she's doing? She doesn't fully understand, we will see that later. She's now first gonna check out this, her cousin. Is it real, is it for true? She's just committed herself to the Lord based on what she does know. God's spirit has always been the one making everything. God tells her he's made new life, and God's word never fails. Okay, based on that, all right, cool. I can give myself to it. Then she rushes off to her cousin to go and figure out, is this for real? Is this actually happening? And she discovers that it does. And so she's growing in her understanding of how incredible this whole thing is. But that acceptance again is an incredible thing. To come to that point where I say there are certain things I do not fully understand, but I can accept that if it is God who has made all things, then it's possible that I can give myself to this. Do you know that? Can you encourage others to do the same? Can you help them to overcome the tendency we have to say, I want to understand everything perfectly and it must make perfectly sense to me before I will commit myself to the fact that this may possibly be true. (laughs) I doubt. So here we find how amazing she actually is helping us through this whole thing. And then she eventually comes to the exercise of what I would call their faith from the heart. So she has this interaction. She arrives at the house. Elizabeth, without her telling anything, Elizabeth says, hey, when you came in here, this baby went bazook, went crazy inside of me because this baby recognized that you are the mother of my Lord. And that's really wacko. She confirms every single thing the angel has said. I'm pregnant. This baby recognizes that baby as the Lord and as my Lord. And how blessed are you. Look at that last line, 45. Blessed is she who has believed that the Lord will fulfill his promises to her. A little bit of more information, a little bit of more confirmation. That's often how God works, isn't it? He gives you a bit of information, you play with it, you doubt it, you kick it around, you say, okay, Lord, okay, alright, yeah, that's it. A little bit more. You take that, you run with it, you investigate it, you explore that, say, okay, Lord, a little bit more. Incredible how God works, isn't it? For those who are prepared to listen and to weigh and to doubt and to figure out and to ask good questions, he is not offended by your questions. He actually encourages you to ask those questions as you move closer and closer and closer to where this is going and so Mary says in verse 46 and 47 my soul glorifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior and so eventually she comes to this point of wonder and praise. Having it confirmed by her cousin that she is pregnant and that everything this angel said is true she says wow I am now ready to glorify him from my inmost being, I'm now, not only have my mind shifted, my heart is shifted. Not only have I certain understanding in my mind, my heart is now rejoicing that he is my Lord and he is my God and he is my savior. He is the Lord that God has promised. And so she's in amazement. But look carefully, will you with me? So she's amazed about who God is, but then she's amazed at a second level, if I can use it, that God has taken an interest in her personally. Look at what she says. For he has been uh, mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed. For the mighty one has done great things for me. Holy is his name. She is a little bit overwhelmed by the fact that this great God and Lord and Savior has been mindful of her. Are you in awe that God is mindful of you? Are you a Christian? Of course. Of course, I'm a Christian. What else am I? I'm not a Muslim very interesting. I remember it was this question that got me to become a Christian eventually. I just became a prefect and at the same time we were accepted by the church to be full members because we were 17. That's what you do by in that tradition that I grew up in. Confirmation. So we were just confirmed. I came out laughing and joking and I And a girl walked up to me and she said to me, congratulations. And I was like confused. I said, congratulations about what? Of course I'm a Christian. Why would you congratulate someone on their confirmation? And her reaction was what confused me entirely. She said to me, no, I'm not talking about that, man. I'm talking about the fact that you've been made a prefect. By God's, I don't know, grace spirit, I stood there and I thought, this is weird. I was offended when she asked me if I... I assumed she asked me or congratulated me that I'm a Christian. But when her reaction was, no, I'm not talking about the Christian thing, I'm talking about the prefect thing. I was like, why do we assume everyone is okay as a Christian? Why is being a prefect more amazing than being a Christian? That's when I realized... I've been dunked, no, sorry, splashed, and I have gone to Sunday school, and I got gold stars for all my exams, and I was in church twice on a Sunday, until I was 17, 18 years old, and I was frustrated that somebody would congratulate me on being a Christian, And then realize, I probably should be thankful that they congratulate me. Because it is not a given that you are. But in the system that I grew up, it is. Are you a Christian? You say to someone, are you a Christian? See how offended people are. How dare you ask me that question? Of course I'm a Christian. Would you be offended if I ask you if you're a Christian? Or would you say, what? It is the most amazing piece of divine grace that someone like me can be a Christian. God has noticed me. And he has saved me. There is no of course in that sentence. Would you be offended if somebody asked you if you are a Christian? You know, most people I've asked if they're Christian they're offended by it. Which probably means they think Christianity is a work that they do. I come to church, I believe, I read my Bible, I get baptized, I take communion. No awareness that this is something that God does. He has taken note of my humble problem. He has... Given me his grace in the gospel. He has sent his son to become a human to save me. Me? If you knew me, you would think God must make must be a joke. Why would he save someone like me? Are you amazed that you're saved? (laughs) Are you amazed that you are saved by God becoming man? Does it amaze you? Or is it, ah, yeah, of course do it every year, sing those old songs, maybe we get a bit teary, when we get a bit older because you know, kind of Christian things, are you amazed that you're a Christian, do you stand in awe that God would take an interest in you and an interest in me, have you really understood the gospel, God has done it, he started the work, he came to reach out to me, he started the work. He's doing the work. He'll finish the work. Are you amazed? It's Interesting, isn't it? Old hat. Of course I'm a Christian. What else am I? So it's funny when you actually start to look at these things, work them through. Wonder, Have I really been convinced about the normality of what this story is really all about? That God would come. And then she places herself in a whole line Of people whom God has saved right through the ages. All the way back to the first one, Abraham. Follow the whole line back to Abraham. God has promised in Abraham that he will save every single one who calls upon his name. And I am in a privileged position in being the mother of God. And I need a savior as the mother of God. I mean, that's wacko. And she is just amazed. And therefore, she is in wonder. And therefore, she praises God. You see how the line works? How the line runs right through. I mean, it's quite simple. I mean, if you if you missed the whole talk, then just look at the last bold print on your outline. Faith in Jesus that grows by questioning, by accepting, by willingly surrendering, by wondering and praising, and then. Repeat. Is that true of you? Is that your faith? You've got every question the Bible raises waxed. You've got the answer for that. No perplexities in your mind, in your heart, about the way that God rules this world. Simple, hey? No questions. Of course I'm a Christian. Of course this stuff is quite easy to explain to anybody. Of course you should expect these things to happen. Of course, of course, of course. I mean, do I need to accept all of this stuff? Have you answered all the questions of your heart? Have you answered all the questions of what the scripture says? Are you growing? I've got more questions. I want to know more. I want to understand what it means that I can accept and because I am accepted. I want to know this. I want to surrender myself more and more to this God that came and pitched this tent in my world, in my being. I am in awe of this God, and I want to praise him. And then you're going to get used to it again, and then hit the repeat button. Spiral. Is that true for you? There's just so much to know. I wish I had more time to explore the incarnation. How is it possible that God could take an interest in me in this way? Me, of all people. Can I encourage you? Don't let Christmas pass. This is Christmas. (laughs) Christmas. I mean, we basically doing, I know it's not in the Bible. It doesn't matter. We just steal it and make it part of our, our culture. That's fine. Do not allow this time when you have not so much to do, except for those who are moving into houses and those kind of things. Ask your questions. Seek and listen so that you may accept a little bit further down the road so that you may more willingly surrender your life to him. Maybe you should ask the question differently. Maybe if we've been in church so long, we don't. Do. Is there anything in the scriptures that God commands through Jesus Christ that you have a difficulty in obeying? You obey everything in the scriptures that Jesus says you should do. You see, I take it that we don't, because we actually don't go through the system. I you don't know if it's a system, but you know what I mean. We don't actually engage. We're like, okay, I need to do this. Okay, I need to do this again Why should I do this? What is so amazing about this command that God gives me? What would happen if I actually learn to surrender to this command in absolute wonder and worship? What will happen to me? What will happen to my heart? What will happen to my mind? What will happen to my body? What will happen to those around me? Hmm. I've got to stir you up. That's what the scripture says. Gather together, why? So that you may stir one another up to love and faith and good deeds. The good deeds is, are you worshiping God now with more understanding and freedom and willingness than what you did when you committed your life to Him the first time? Or have you plateaued I want to encourage you, don't settle for less than what is available in the Lord Jesus Christ. Ask your questions. Surrender yourself to those answers. Stand in awe of God's answer in Christ Jesus and worship and praise him. So that's why the questions are there. Where are you on the spiral? Have you moved? Are you moving How far do you need to go? Anyone here can put up their hand and say, I've reached it. Perfection. I'm in constant awe and worship of God. Hands up. Is it possible to even be? Maybe you say, ach, you know what, that's kind of hyperbole. It's over the top. Let me just get through it. I feel like it sometimes. I just say, Lord, you can come and take me now. Nothing's going to change. I'm not going to become any more godly and thankful and joyful in you than I am currently. So just be me up. Take me. Denial of the wonder of the truth that there is in Christ Jesus. Can you allow others to go through this spiral? Or must everyone be where you are currently? Can you allow others? Or do you think the questions that you've got answered, everybody else must have answered? Can you standardize the Christian experience by your standard? Do you encourage others to ask their questions, to work through it so that they may surrender, so that they may believe, so that they may worship? Can you allow them to do it at their pace? Do you want to help others to grow? Do you want to invite others to to explore and grow. See you know how amazing this is. This just keeps on going. So don't assume everybody's where you are, the great heights that you've reached in your theological development. Rather go next to them and say, what? Have a look at this. Explore this. Ask questions about this. I can see you're battling there. Don't get stuck there. Move on. Grow. That's what, in one sense, Stuart's is really all about. It's to help others grow in this entire process. That's what, like this Christmas, well, we call it, is all about. We have the opportunity to redo this with one another. I want to encourage you. What is it about this entire event that we've looked at this morning that really blows your mind? Do you worship God for that? Do you want others to know that too? Are you sharing with them, inviting them? That's how we grow one another, isn't it? As we help one another to understand the glory of what God has done for us in Christ Jesus. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I pray that for each of us, we will never fall into the old hat. Disposition. That's a dangerous thing For our own hearts To do that Lord I'm going to pray for those Who have never really questioned you Who have never really accepted you Who have never really Willingly surrender themselves to you Who do not stand in wonder Of your grace And who do not praise you from the heart I want to pray for them too Lord I want to pray that you will help them to figure out where they are and to come to you come to another christian and ask you help me to see why is it that i don't stand in awe of god's grace in christ jesus what is it about my understanding that is lacking what is about my commitment that is shallow So, Lord, we ask you to be gracious to us. Grow us in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Help us in this time when there's so much going on that we actually have the space to think these things through. So to you, Lord Jesus, indeed belong all glory, for you are the Son of the Most High. You are the eternal King of Israel, whose reign will never, ever, ever end you are the one that is so great we cannot co-opt you as our counselor or as our assistant you are our lord and our god and it's before you that we fall down it's to you that we surrender ourselves we do not negotiate with you lord we want to give ourselves to you stir in us deeper levels of understanding of the magnitude of your grace in christ jesus and of the future that it holds out for us so thank you for this morning thank you for this very simple reminder things we've looked at so often thank you that we could stand still and just question these things in our own hearts and minds again so to you lord belong glory and splendor may it raise many other questions may it raise many more times of acceptance and surrendering and wondering and praising so, yes, Lord, to you belong all the glory and the praise. And we do this in Jesus' name. Amen.